Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. For millennia, Christians have had an exchange that's focused on this day. Someone turned to another person and said, he is risen, and the response is, he is risen indeed. Let's try it. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen. Amen. It's a good comeback story, the best comeback story ever. I love comeback stories. I remember in December of 2013, December 23rd, 2013, I witnessed an amazing comeback story. I was in Candlestick Park for the last football game being played by the 49ers. And there was so much energy in the stadium. It was packed out the last game. All the greats were there, uh, including me and my friend Brian Wren, who always makes a party great. Me and Brian were there. Um, It was Monday night football, and there were playoff uh, implications on the line. Whoever wins the game goes to the playoffs. They were playing the Atlanta Falcons, and I hate the Atlanta Falcons, okay? So it was everything that's right in the world. So we're sitting there and um, the energy was electric. It was amazing. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> this is a true story. In the fourth quarter, I had to go to the, to the bathroom. And so I'm standing in line and a guy turns around. There's a line in the men's bathroom. That's how full it was. Guy turns to me and says, <clears throat> what are you taking? And I go, excuse me? <laughs> he goes, what are you taking? I go, what am I taking? And he lifts up his pant leg and pulls out a wrench. He says, I'm taking a toilet seat. <laughs> I said, you scared me. You just get as far away from me as possible. Anyway, so fourth quarter, it's going and here's the problem. Uh, you can feel the momentum shifting in the stadium. Uh, the Falcons are driving. It's the last drive of the game, and they're going down the field, and they're close to the 10-yard line. They're about on the 18-yard line, a minute 43 left. Matt Ryan goes back for a pass, and we're all holding our breath. You can just feel it. It's, it's game over. It can't end this way. And all of a sudden, Matt Ryan throws the ball. The receiver gets bumped, and Navarro Bowman catches it and runs 89 yards for a pick six in the last game at Candlestick Park. And here's something we can't say a lot. I guess we are now, but the 49ers won. <laughs> We're high-fiving each other. We are just, we're hugging each other. We're just going, yes. I mean, I went all the way down the row. I'm hugging people. It was amazing. We love comebacks. Not just sports comebacks. We love stories of financial comebacks. We pay money for theater for great comeback stories. Think it's because it resonates deep inside with a narrative we all long for. All of us want a comeback story, and some of you are in here today needing that very thing. Many of us need it in one area or another. Some of us need a career comeback. Some of us need a relational comeback. What was once an intimate relationship has grown cold and there's no communication. Some of us need a marital comeback. Please sign up, refreshing your marriage. Some of us need a financial comeback. Some of us need an emotional comeback. We're just walking through a depressive time. Some of us need a character comeback. There's a habit or a hurt or a hang-up that's gotten the best of us, and we can't stop it. Am I the only one that can resonate with needing a comeback? It's the human condition. Well, I've got good news. There's hope for all of us today because Easter means no matter what the odds, 
no matter how big the deficit, no matter how little time is left on the clock, you qualify for history's greatest comeback. It's not too late for your own comeback because on Easter, Jesus coming back from the grave, Jesus defeating death, and if he defeated death, he can defeat whatever you're facing relationally, emotionally, financially, in your career. Jesus is still the God of the comeback. Now, if I were sitting across the table from you and we were sharing a meal and you weren't a follower of Jesus, and I'm not an idiot, I know some of you aren't following Jesus, you're here because ham was promised you after this service or something. (laughs) Or she said, if you come to church, well, go on that date and whatever. So if you're here, I get it. I've been around, it's not my first rodeo. If we're here, um, and you invited me, if we had the type of authentic relationship where you invited me, okay, Gadini, You give me your best shot at why I should consider becoming a follower of Jesus. Uh, I would actually not focus our conversation on the teachings of Jesus. I wouldn't talk about the miracles of Jesus. If I had one shot, I would focus on what we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications. Because the truth is, Christianity is not based on Jesus' teaching. It's not based on his miracles. It's not based on church history or anything like that. Because when Jesus died, do you know what happened to Jesus? Everybody unfollowed him on the day he died. How many followers of Christ did Jesus have on Friday night? Zero. Zero. It's not that his followers didn't appreciate his life or appreciate what he taught or even give him allegiance. It's just he claimed way too much about himself. He walked the earth and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he dies. He raised people from the dead. He healed the blind. And then he's tortured and crucified a criminal's death. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He promised to be God's son, only to die on a cross. Everybody was let down. Everybody thought, okay, I guess it's another self-proclaimed Messiah and we hitched our wagon to the wrong horse. And they scattered for fear. I'm telling you, everybody did. Which is the starting point of a great comeback when it's all over. Every great comeback starts there. I just want you to try to think, where in your life are you needing a comeback? Where does it feel like it's all over? Financial? Career? Emotional? What relationship feels so dead there's no hope for a comeback? What aspect of your character has so dissolved that you think there's no way I'll ever get over that? On Easter morning, no one was outside the tomb doing this. Ten, nine, eight, seven. They all live in the same despair that you're living in right now, thinking of whatever I brought up, which is the starting point of our story. Watch this.
we laid him here? Who would go to such lengths to take his body? Killing him wasn't enough. They had to wipe out all trace. But the shroud is folded. I don't know who could have... Why break the Romans here? I don't know. It is the third day. Why are you crying? Have you taken him? Who? If you've taken him, please. Tell me where. And I will get him. So if we were sitting across the table, I'd open uh, one of the historical accounts, they're called Gospels, and one called John that this clip was based on, and I would read to you, because the issue is the resurrection, this story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now who's Mary? She's a woman who Jesus had healed, and after she was healed, she became an intimate follower of Jesus. They were really, really close. And she was one of those people who dared to believe, and Jesus changed her life. She was banking everything that he was who he claimed to be. And then at the crucifixion, like everyone else, her heart was so broken, none of this made sense, but she was so grateful for who Jesus was. She had to get to the tomb after, um, the, after the, um, on the third day, and she was banking that someone would roll away the stone so that she could re-embalm the body and rewrap the body. She loved Jesus that much, she wanted to care for his corpse. Verse two, so she came running. Oh, by the way, uh, she goes to the tomb and she doesn't find the body, and when she doesn't find the body, again, what's her assumption? Not that he's resurrected, she assumes somebody stole it. I cannot tell you enough this next line. Nobody expected no body. So important. So she comes running a mile back into Jerusalem to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and she said, he's risen. Is that what she says? 
No. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Someone's stolen the body. So Peter and John run through the city to the tomb where they find no body. And neither of them conclude that he's risen from the dead. They go back to Jerusalem, lock the doors, thinking, what do we do? What do we think? This is horror upon horror. It was enough that they crucified and tortured him. Now they've stolen the body, so we can't even embalm him properly. And what's Mary doing? She loses it. Verse 11, we're going to jump through the story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Of course she did. This is the greatest man she's ever known. He said things to her that no one had ever said and treated her in a way that no one had ever treated her. She had deep inner healing that she'd never experienced before, only to see all that dashed when that man is tortured and crucified and left dead on a cross. And now grave robbers have come to steal the body for parts or whatever, and she's going, this is just too much, and so she's lost it. As she wept, she bent over and looked in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. She doesn't know they're angels. And they ask her, why are you crying? Which actually answers an age-old theological question. Are angels male or female? Of course, they're men. Only a man would ask a woman, why are you crying? <laughs> little resurrection humor. All the women said? Amen. They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they put him. Again, she's thinking grave robbers, not resurrection. But then she hears a stirring behind her. And I imagine when we get to heaven, I'll figure this one out. I'll ask Jesus himself. But I imagine a pregnant pause. And before this next line comes out, I imagine uh, as she turns, uh, a grin comes on Jesus' face, even before she turns. Because he's about to give one word that's going to change everything about everything. The greatest comeback in history is about to take place. And of course his heart is broken that her heart is broken. Of course his heart is broken that her life is messed up. But with one word, it's going to change everything. One name. I just got to say, I believe God is looking on us today And Jesus has a grin on his face. Not because he sees a full sanctuary, but he sees you individually. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. And you're here with a glimmer of hope for a comeback. And so Jesus, look at verse 14. Uh, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. And here it comes. Jesus said, here's the word, Mary. Or was it Mary? Mary. I don't know. We'll get to heaven and hear the inflection. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she runs to him. And Jesus says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. In other words, Mary, go back to the city and bring them a different message. Tell them there's been a comeback. Remind them on the cross, I didn't say I am finished. On the cross, I said it 
is finished. I'm just beginning. Tell him that message. And so she does. She runs back and she goes to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And that, my friends, is history's greatest comeback. So if we were sitting across the table, I would share with you those news, that news, that story. And if we had more time, I'd go more into the complexity of all that broke out. But at the end of it, if we were sitting across the table, I would unashamedly ask a question similar to what we saw in the clip. I'd look you in the eye, and with all the heart I have, I would ask you, do you dare to believe? Because of the resurrection, everything Jesus claimed was substantiated. Everything he taught because of the resurrection was punctuated. Do you dare to believe? I might even say something like this. Hey, if we were friends and you predicted your death, and with pinpoint accuracy, I watched you being tortured and killed, and I saw you put in a tomb, and three days later we're having a meal, I'd do whatever you said too. Because that's not natural. Finally, if we were sitting across the table, I would conclude our conversation unashamedly saying this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you actually should consider it because the issue you've got to start with, the logical hurdle you must overcome is not what Jesus taught. It's not the miracles he produced. You'd probably push back and say, yeah, but what do we do with church history? And I'd say, yes, there have been terrible aspects of church history. How about how Christians act? Yeah, Christians don't all act great. But what you must wrestle with is this. What do you do with the empty tomb? What do you do with the resurrected Jesus? That's the claim. There's really only one and one critical question to history's greatest comeback. And it's this, my friends, really. Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I just again humbly want to push before you this truth. The resurrection substantiates every claim and punctuates everything he taught. So we're going to close in prayer and I'm going to actually invite you to pray with me because I know all of us in this room, if we were gut honest with each other, which doesn't always happen in church, sadly, we would say, I need to come back. All of us have some certain ambition in some area that hasn't been met. And I'm not here to tell you, yeah, come to Jesus and your marriage will get better. Or come to Jesus and you'll kick that drug habit or that alcohol habit or that porn habit. I'm not here to say that. I'm here to say, come to Jesus so you can be reconnected in a relationship with him and with God the Father. The relationship you were created for. In, In the new life in Christ, as you grow with him, All that other stuff will work itself out. You can live every day with the sure hope that you can have a comeback. Relationally, emotionally, financially, all of that is possible because Jesus is alive. So I'm gonna pray for us. And it's a prayer, it's a simple prayer. It's it's one word, really, yes. It's that kind of prayer, yes, Jesus. And I'm going to invite you, and I'm going to take the role, the Bible calls it the role of a priest, where I pray on behalf of us, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me in certain portions of my prayer. And you can bow your head, you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open, you can do whatever you want. It's the heart that matters. So let me pray with us.
Jesus, we're so grateful for the empty grave. We're so grateful for that story. We're so grateful that whether we follow you or not, you know our name and you are relentless in your pursuit of us. We're so thankful, Lord, that when we've run away from you, that your love is greater than our rebellion. We come here today, Lord, as uh, people who have hopes and dreams, but also have a track record of destruction. Just look at our home pages. Look what we've done with your world. Look what we've done with relationships. Look how we divided over race and divided over age and divided over uh, gender. Look how we hurt each other. All of us are guilty. We've all sinned and fallen short of your standard. Some of us today, Lord, as this message has gone out, in our heart, we've heard your spirit saying, yes, this is true. Yes, this is true. Through the songs, through the choir numbers, through a handshake, whatever you've used, hope is beginning to rise. And we want to turn to you right now and say, yes, yes. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, you can just, again, make this your prayer. Forget about what's behind and look forward to what's ahead and make this your prayer. Yes, yes, Jesus. Yes, I need help. Yes, I've made a mess of things to some degree or another. Yes, I can't control my destructive behavior. Yes, I offer you the ashes of my life, inviting you to exchange them and create something beautiful in me. Yes, I want a relationship with you if you're alive. And yes, when I need the greatest comeback I'll ever need in my life at death's door, I believe you won't betray me there and will live forever. So I'm giving you what I am, who I am, what I'm not, who I pretend to be. Take all of me and make me new. I hear your name, my name being called by you. And I cry out and run to you today. Others of you, you've followed Christ or you made that commitment before and you've wandered and there's areas of your life that are in rubble. I encourage you that Jesus is still in the business of saving what we offer to him. So you say, yes, Lord, help me with my finances. Yes, help me in this relationship. Do what I can't do. Yes, help me in my pain, in my grief, in my depression, in my hurt, habit, or hang up. Jesus, take all of me. I'm coming back to you today. We say yes today, Jesus. Because we love you. And we thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody said. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.